and it reads, My little children, I am writing these things to you so that you may not sin. But if anyone does sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous. He is the propitiation of our sins, and not for ours only, but also for the sins of the whole world. Amen. You may have your seat. Wow. Try that again. Good morning. That's a little bit better. All right, we are in uh, 1 John chapter 2. Before we head there, though, I have one special announcement. Uh, Miss Eleanor, you made it 59 years. I mean, that's amazing. You put up with him that long. So let's uh, give... Uh, a celebratory amen to them and to God, God's faithfulness to you. And uh, just as a young man uh, that's been married uh, not nearly that long, your testimony to me of how to be faithful, uh, pursue the Lord, and be uh, in God's house with God's people, the longevity of your marriage is an incredible testimony to uh, the rest of us. So thank you for your faithfulness, but praise be to God who has allowed them to be faithful. It's more about God than it is about them. But their witness to us uh, is incredible. Also, again, I, I just want to circle back to the Bible study that is tomorrow night. Uh, again, Brother Joshua said it was a, a, an amazing Bible study. I believe there's over 25 ladies that were here, uh, six visitors that had never come to the church before. Uh, so let's continue to pray for that, pray for that Bible study, that God would stir in the hearts of the ladies, that God would then stir in the hearts of this community Again, to uh, just further God's kingdom with his word through the hearts of those ladies. So men, if nothing else, if we don't do anything else, we can at least pray for them because they are outshining us a lot. So fellas, tomorrow, whether, whatever you're doing, that Bible study, just take a few moments to pray to God for those, those ladies' hearts. Uh, I know uh, there, there may even be unbelievers that are coming. And so we want God to move in powerful, powerful ways. Uh, so, fellas, we can do our part. Uh, tomorrow, we will be praying for, for you. That's my commitment uh, as, a, as a man, not a pastor. But, like, okay, you're outshining us. I'm going to outshine you by prayer. Uh, so that's all I can do. All right, if you're here this morning, if you have your uh, little uh, black books, pull those out. If you don't have one, raise your hand. We have two left. We'll get you a copy. Uh, just raise your hand high. We have, we, uh, Jack will get you one. Anyone else? This is the last one. This is my personal copy. It's not been written in. I'll give it to you. Anyone need one? All right. All right, let's go. First John chapter 2. We're going to look at two verses this morning. Remember, the backdrop of this letter is written to God's people, to the church, to talk to them about loving God and loving other people. He's going to say, you, you can't have one without the other. You, you can't love God if you don't love people, and there's no way to love other people unless you love God. And uh, this, this letter is, you're going to be like, man, Todd, you said that two weeks ago. And then I'm, it just talks, he talks in circles. But it's the same thing over and over and over again. We can't hear enough about those two things. How do we love God and keep his commandments? And how do we love each other? And so 
That's kind of where we're at in this book. And so in this moment, in this letter, we're going to look at two small verses. But here's how I want to set this up this morning. Some of my favorite TV shows are like uh, Live PD. Anyone else watch Live PD? Oh, it's like Cops. If you remember the show Cops, Bad Boy, you want to sing the whole song? It's like that. My, one of my friends calls it uh, Adult Paw Patrol. Anyone know Paw Patrol? It's like Adult Paw Patrol. Uh, now parents are like, oh. So I can get lost in that show for hours just watching people get arrested. It's like amazing. And the ignorance that happens on that show, it's like, man, you're you drunk man trying to talk your way out of a ticket. It's amazing. I, I love the other show, uh, The First 48. Anyone seen that? Like there's a crime that happens. It's really a murder. Sorry, children. But if there's a murder that happens, and they say within the first 48 hours is the most important 48 hours of that crime. But if you watch those shows, those crime shows, there's always this saying at the beginning, this disclaimer at the beginning, all suspects are presumed innocent until proven guilty. They, they always say that. And, and I mean, I will watch that over and over and over again. You remember a few months ago, I talked about those, uh, the, those snap crackers that I eat. This is how I get lost in those. I will eat 10 whole bags watching these shows. It is just captivating to me. But here's the deal with those shows. You, you, there's only a few moments and a few times at the end of the episode, they'll kind of tell you what happened. Like this suspect, he was guilty, or this suspect, he was innocent. Well, a few years ago, I started watching, listening to this podcast. The podcast walked you through from the moment the crime happened all the way to the end of the story when the criminal got convicted. It's called cereal. I'm not sure if I should recommend, not cereal like you eat, like a cereal killer. That, that's like, but it was, cap I would listen to it for hours driving the work. And what was captivating about it was the process. And listening to stories and listening to alibis and listening to how these things all came together. But then what was really, really captivating in that show was when they finally went to trial. And you got to hear excerpts from the trial about the defense attorney and the accuser and the judge and all the evidence that was being brought about. And what was so captivating, it was in this moment, it's like some days I'd listen, I'm like, oh man, that dude is guilty, no doubt about it. And then the next episode, I'm like, oh man, he's innocent, let him go, let him go. And it was like this tug of war in my heart. I'm like, is he innocent? Is he not? But man, being in that courtroom, like I could visualize myself sitting in the back, watching the court system play out. And it was just so captivating. That's what we have here in these two verses. So I want you this morning to put yourself inside the courtroom. But here's the deal with this courtroom. It's the divine courtroom. There's no corruption in this courtroom. There's no bias in this courtroom. There's four people that we'll see in this courtroom this morning. And you're in the courtroom. You're not just a bystander in the courtroom. You are on trial this morning in this courtroom. 
So take yourself from the back of the courtroom all the way to the table of the accused in the courtroom. So there's four people that we see in this courtroom in this text this morning. These four people are this, the just judge. There is an honorable judge that when he comes into the Holy of Holies, it says all rise and we all rise because the just judge has entered into the court. We're going to look at him this morning. The next person that we'll see is the slanderous accuser. The next one we'll see is this, you and me, the guilty suspect. The key word there is guilty. You are on trial this morning because you are guilty, not maybe or maybe not. You are guilty as charged this morning. Remember, we're in a just courtroom. So you got there because you did commit a crime. But then we're going to look at this last man that stands in the courtroom. The righteous attorney. Or the divine attorney. Let's look at those four people this morning as you and I sit on trial this morning. Here's the deal. All of us in this room this morning we are on trial. And now John is going to show us how it all plays out. He's going to peel back the curtains to how this court scene plays out. He's going to hold nothing back. In two small verses, he opens us up to how we got here. So let's look at those four people that are in that righteous, divine courtroom this morning. The first one is this. It is the just judge. Now we know he's just because of what he says. Here's, here's John when he starts these few verses. These two verses, he says, my little children. Now you've got to hear the heart and what John is saying. This is an older man that's writing this at the end of his life. And he's writing from a, a very kind heart. Uh, this is like a pleading heart. And if you could get the inflection in his voice through the writing, it would be this place of begging. Oh, my little children, please listen to me. Like there's this kindness. There's this love. There's this care. It, it's not this harsh rebuke he's saying oh please listen to me please 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 listen to me he says little children please listen up i am writing these things well what things is he writing like this is how we begin to see the first person in the courtroom we, we get it by one word in the text it's father but we got to take the word father and we got to move it back to the last few verses what are the last few verses what is he writing about he says this in verse five this is the message that we have heard and proclaimed to you 
that God is light. And you remember when we looked at that word light last week, that God is holy. And so he's saying, listen, listen, children, listen up. You are on trial, but there is a holy God that sits on the throne, that sits in that place of all authority that's holy. And out of his holiness, there is justice. Out of his holiness, there is also rebuke. Out of holiness, there is a place of judgment. But you've got to remember, it's that he's a holy God, not a vengeful God. You see, if we come into the courtroom and we come and we look at this, this judge and we have the lenses of, man, he's a vengeful God, we will live in terror as we're on trial. But if we come this morning and we're on trial, we see the honorable God walk into the courtroom and we say to ourselves, he is a holy God. Then we can say because of his holiness, he loves us. Because of his holiness, he is just. And because of his holiness, there is something that has to be done to me. But do we again go back to what we said last week is god holy to you or is he a vengeful god is he a god that wants to smite you is he a god like when you think of god what do you think about god what comes to your mind when you hear the word god is it the one with the lightning bolt ready to strike you dead or is it the one that opens his arms? Because we're going to see throughout this book, this letter that John writes, there's this God with these wide open arms of love and kindness and goodness to God's people. How do you see God this morning? Because there is a God that sits in the courtroom, reigning over the courtroom. You ever been to court? That man or that woman in that chair has all authority. Like everything has to go through him or her in that courtroom. He has the ultimate and the final say. Right when when people are bringing things against the accused or or the innocent, that they can then make an appeal to the judge, and the judge can say, "We're going to go with it, or we're going to stop there." That person has all authority, and that is the God that we serve today. He has all authority. He has the final say. Do we believe that? That's the first person in the courtroom. The second one is this. You can see it in the text. It's not blatant in the text, but it's in the text. We see it in the text that we have a slanderous accuser because therefore we need an advocate. Now I know it doesn't say Satan's in the courtroom, but we can pull it out of the text because we're in a courtroom and there's accusations being thrown at us. And throughout God's word, we see that there is Satan who is out to get us. 
And he is hurling things at us and about us all day long. He is known as the accuser in Revelation chapter 12. Remember the accuser, what he did to Job in the first few chapters of Job. He's accusing Job of things. Remember what he does to Jesus when Jesus is out being tempted. He's bringing accusations against Jesus. There is an accuser in the courtroom. But here's the deal with that accuser. Though he's slanderous, he is right. Like every accusation he's bringing against us is accurate. Now he's doing it maliciously. He's doing it not for our good. But everything that he's saying to the judge in the courtroom, we got no defense. But he's super slanderous about it. Because when you slander someone, it's not for their good. And so you can tell the truth, but it be slanderous because it's not for their good. So we do have an accuser in the courtroom. Now here's the next person. So do you see that person that you and us, for all of the rest of our lives, will be accused? You will wake up tomorrow morning and you will feel the accusations coming your way. And they will be accurate. You are a sinner. You've done this, and 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 you've done this. And all I had to say is, yep, that is accurate information. But in a moment, we'll see what we do with those accusations. The next one is this. He says this in the text. Let's go back and look at it. My little children, I'm writing these things to you so that you may not sin. Now, now we'll miss it in the text. What, what John is saying here with those few words that you may not sin, he's not saying that you won't sin. He's not saying, I'm writing these things so that you do not sin. You ever, ever been with your children, you tell them something, you already know the outcome, you're like, hey, this is going to happen, and I hope it doesn't happen. But you couch it like, so that you don't do this, and you're like, I know you're going to do this, but I'm going to say it that way. This is actually what John is saying. It's lost in translation. He says basically this. Hey, I don't want you to sin, but because I know you're going to sin. You ever done that with your kids? Like, man, this is going to turn out really bad. That's what John is saying. I know what's going to happen. I kind of have a crystal ball in this one. Like you are going to sin. So he's not calling us not to sin. He's simply saying to us, hey, when you sin, this is what happens to you and for you. Now, that doesn't mean we go on sinning because we know, like Paul makes that clear. Do we go on sinning because? Because we've been forgiven, he says, by no means. We want to live as though a place of holiness. So we strive for holiness, knowing we won't always make holiness. That is what John is, in essence, saying to us. He says that word, that you may not sin. 
But if anyone does sin, what does sin mean? Sin means to miss the mark. Think of an archer. Think of someone in riflery. The mark is the bullseye. What is the bullseye that we are trying to hit in our lives? It's called holiness. Remember who it is that we're to be holy. We said it last week. Be holy for I am holy. Anything outside of holiness in our lives is missing the mark. And so now John is saying, hey, you will miss the mark. Like you're going to leave today, and at some point in your journey, over the next 12 hours, you will miss the mark. And so therefore, because we have missed the mark, we are all guilty. Paul says it so clear in Romans 3. Romans 3, he says this, for all have sinned. I mean, I could, you, 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 me, 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 me. We all have missed the mark. We all have sinned. Therefore, what? We've all fallen short of the glory of God. So now we're on trial because we have missed the mark, and therefore because we have missed the mark, we are guilty. Like we really have no defense. But do you believe you're guilty? Do you believe you have an alibi? Can we sing the song? I'm just kidding. Do you try to stand before a holy God and say, no, 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 that's not how it happened. That's not what I meant. You and I are the guilty suspect. There is no cop. There is no impartial judicial system that is trying to get us, trying to smear us, trying to lie false uh, evidence against us. We are all guilty in this courtroom. Again, I said it last week, I'll say it again. It doesn't matter how big or small the sin is, you've missed the mark, and therefore you're guilty because you've missed the mark. That is you and me. Here's the glory of this passage. Here's the beauty of this passage. You see, it could all end right there. My little children, I'm writing these things to you so that you may not sin, but if you do sin, if he just put period and didn't go on with it, we'd all be in big trouble. But John, being John, pulls us back to the glory of God and says, yeah, 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 but there's something else going on in the courtroom. There's one last person in the courtroom. There's one last person at your table in the courtroom. And he says this. He, he says to us, we have someone in the courtroom, an advocate. We have an advocate with who? Not with us, but we have an advocate with the Father. Again, look who he doesn't say, though it's the judge. He says, hey, there's an intimate relationship that I, the defense attorney, have with the judge. Now, in our court system, if your defense attorney was the son of the judge, it'd be dismissed. Like, that's a conflict of interest. But now John is saying, wait, there's an intimate relationship that your defense attorney 
has with the judge. So now he brings us back. He's not just a judge, but he's a father. And he's not just a father to Jesus. The text reveals he's a father to us. So now we have a brother sitting beside us at the table that's advocating to the father for us. Now, how many of your brothers and sisters try to throw you under the bus? Man, they're like, yep, mine do. But we have a brother, an advocate, that's going on our behalf to the judge. He says this, we have an advocate with the Father. This is his name. He's Jesus Christ, what? The righteous. Now, that word righteous is so important. Circle that in your little binders. Righteous is so important in this text. He says, He is the propitiation for our sins, and not only our sins, but also the sins of the whole world. Now here's where things take a turn in the courtroom. Yes, we have an advocate. But here's where he's advocating. You know, when you have a defense attorney, what is the defense attorney trying to do? Prove you're innocent. That's not what this advocate is doing. You know what this advocate is saying to the father? Hey, you're right. He's like, like in that moment, you're sitting on trial and you're like, man, that's not what I'm paying you for. Like if you're on trial and your attorney says, to the whole courtroom, yet he's guilty as charged, you'd be like, man, I wasted my money. But that's what Jesus is doing. Because why? He knows the holiness of God. So he'd be lying if he came to the judge and says, no, he's innocent. He's going to the judge and says, no, 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 he's guilty as charged. He's advocating for your guilt. Again, thank God there's not a period there. So yes, you have an advocate, and that advocate is advocating for your guilt. But then this righteous attorney turns and uses one other word. One of the most glorious words in all of the Bible. John calls him something. He says this, yes, he's advocating. And yes, you're guilty as charged. The word advocate means to come alongside. Man, he's coming alongside to prove me that I'm guilty? Like, come on, bro. But Jen, John goes, oh, yeah, 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 yeah. And now it takes another turn in the courtroom. Because he's advocating for your guilt. Then he advocates for something else. He, he says in the text, he is the propitiation for our sins. Now that's a big, long Bible word. And you're like, what does propitiation mean? We don't use that word. He, he's saying he's the propitiator. Well, what does it mean to be the propitiator? What does it mean to have pro, to be to propitiate for someone in the courtroom? It simply means this. It simply means the appeasement or the satisfaction of something. So now Jesus is saying he's guilty as charged. But I'm the appreciation. 
for that guilt. I'm the appeasement. What is he having to appease? What is Jesus having to stand before holy God and saying, hey, I know they're guilty, and I know because of their guilt, your wrath is coming, and they deserve it. But then he says, wait, 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 Father. Wait, 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 before you throw out your wrath on them, please be reminded of what I've done for them on the cross. Let me say it again. The wrath of God is for all of us in this room. We are all guilty, and guilty means the wrath of God ought to be poured out on all of us with no defense. But Jesus says, yes, I know they're guilty. But remember what happened when we saw them fall. Remember, God. Remember, Father, what happened in the garden. Remember the words you spoke to them. Remember you promised them that there would be one to come to crush the head of the serpent, to crush the head of the accuser. I'm that one. I am the payment for your wrath because I absorbed your wrath on the cross for the one that's guilty. Like, yes, we're guilty. But yes, we have an advocate. Yes, we have one that all the wrath of God was poured out on. Remember what Jesus himself said on the cross. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? It was because in that moment, the wrath of God was being poured out onto Jesus so that we would not, never have to experience it. And so he says to us, not only our sins, but the sins of the whole world. Like in that moment in the courtroom, Jesus is reminding God, though he needed to be reminded, man, please remember the cross. Please remember your wrath being poured out on me for the guilty's sake. And Jesus, advocating with the Father, the Father then turns and says to the accused, you are forgiven, not because of anything you've done, but because of what Christ has done for you. Like he's looking at us, us in the face, not Christ in the face, and saying to us, you are set free. Not because of what you've done, because you are guilty. But I remember my wrath being poured out on him for the appeasement that ought to be on you. And therefore, you can leave this courtroom free. And therefore, we go back to the text from last week. How come we would not confess our sins to God? Because we know in our confession for God, we have one that's advocating all the time in our defense every time we sin. That word advocate means an ongoing defense for your sin. So when you sin today, you have an advocate with the Father saying, no, no, remember me. No, no, don't remember that. Remember me. Over and over and over and over and over again, the advocate, as you stand on trial for your guilty sins, Jesus is saying to us, please, God, remember your wrath being poured out on me. Do not pour it out on him. And God is saying, I will not because I remember my promise I made at the cross in you.
that is for everyone. I can't say it enough. You can and are forgiven of everything. Nothing that you've done can Christ not advocate for. No matter how big or small, no matter how violent or petty. And yes, you're guilty of it all. And yes, I'm guilty of it all. I've got no defense other than, yep, yes, your honor. That is correct, your honor. Now, I want you to be reminded today, though you sit in this divine courtroom with a just God, with a, with a slanderous accuser, that you're guilty as charged, you have an advocate advocating for you all the time, every day, for the forgiveness of your sins. That ought to do something in all of us. Like that ought to bring us to our feet in worship. And I don't mean some songs. I mean there's something ought to happen in our chest. It's like we walk around, we worship because we're reminded of this holy God who poured out his wrath on Jesus and Jesus absorbed the wrath that we ought to take and that ought to lead us to worshiping a holy God the same way that Isaiah did that I talked about last week. The same way that John does in Revelation. When he saw the holiness of God, it just burst him into worship. Because we're reminded we're guilty and yet we have an advocate that is pleading on our behalf to let us walk away innocent, though we're guilty. Which goes back to that one word that is so important in the text. And I'll close with this. He says, Jesus Christ, what? The righteousness. We have to have Christ's righteousness on us even to be able to stand before holy God. Now to you and to me this morning, how will you leave the courtroom? My, my great fear, I say it all the time, I continue to say it, you've been set free, but you walk out with shackles still. You're set free, but you still walk out with the orange robe on rather than the white robe that's been put onto you. You've been set free. He says to us, because of the righteousness of Christ, all of your sin has been atoned for. I get one amen. All of your sinful things has been atoned for because of the righteousness of Christ, because that has absorbed your, his wrath so that we would not have to. And so today, my plea for all of us, all of us this morning, let us walk out with the white robe of righteousness with no shackles, living freely because of what Christ just did for us in the courtroom. You don't need a bailiff to take you back into the cell. You have the Holy Spirit to walk with you in freedom for the rest of your life. May we live there, church, this morning. Let me pray for us.